0: God loves religious people enough to tell them that religion is not enough. To me, Cornelius, he's a great example of a guy from, again, outward appearances. He just seems like a really good guy. He seems like a really religious guy. And it would be easy to peg Cornelius and be like, man, clearly that guy must have a thriving, jumping relationship with God. But again, as we learn, if you don't know Jesus it's impossible to have a relationship with God. You can know about God, but unless you know Jesus, and Cornelius has yet to meet Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him. Now, last week was Cornelius, and we saw God working in Cornelius. This week, I'm excited to tell you a little bit more about the story, and we're gonna look at Peter. And uh, Peter's been kind of a central character in the story of Acts uh, so far, but where the story picks up today Before Peter could meet Cornelius, before these two men's paths could cross, God had to correct a lie that Peter was believing, a lie that, if uncorrected, would have prevented these two guys from ever even meeting. So he was working in Cornelius uh, last week, uh, and now this week we're going to look at Peter. And specifically, God wanted to correct a lie that Peter was believing. Uh, And if that lie went unchecked, uncorrected, these two men never would have met. So in thinking about what God is uh, going to do for Peter in this story, I've been thinking a lot about lies that we often believe, Uh, lies that we often believe, lies we believe about ourselves, lies we believe about God, lies that ultimately shape who we're becoming, lies that shape how we think about ourselves lies that shape how we interact with people around us, lies that we ultimately also believe about God. And so I wanted to ask you a pretty challenging question just because I've been wrestling with it all week, and I wanted you to wrestle. This is the question. How much of your life has been shaped by lies you've believed about yourself? How much of your life, doesn't matter if you're 15, 25, 35, 45, 55 older, How much of your life has been shaped by lies that you have believed about yourself? Now, when I was sitting with this question, I was pretty humbled to know that in 41 years of living, a lot of my life has been shaped by lies that I've chosen to believe. Some that I've just told myself, some that others have told to me. I'm going to share with you two examples of lies that I believed that shaped me. Now, be honest. I want to see a show of hands. How many people have at least had a sip of coffee once in your entire life? Raise your hand. Okay, so my hand is not raised. I've never had coffee. I've never once had a sip of coffee for the sole reason, this is not spiritual, I really wanted to be at least 6'4", and uh, I was told at a very young age that if I drank coffee, it would stunt my growth. And so... I believed that if I had a taste of coffee, I would stop growing. And at age 41, uh, I still somehow in my mind think I'm going to reach 6'4 one day if I just avoid coffee. (laughs) So that's a goofy one. But nonetheless, I honestly remember someone shared that with me. Um, So much now to the point where I believed a lie about coffee that when I walk into a coffee shop and my wife loves drinking coffee, I just get that... uh, you know, that. It just, it, it smells terrible to me. And she loves coffee, loves coffee ice cream. And so I love her, so it's good. But that was a lie I believed, in it really shaped, I avoided something. This was another lie, a little bit more serious. Uh, I grew up, I had a learning disability growing up, and so I grew up in special ed classes all the way through college. Uh, and I remember... Very specifically, my learning disability prevented me from doing languages. Uh, I had a hard enough time with the English language, so they said, Michael, we'll let you take a pass on having to do a foreign language, but we want you to at least try. And I was like, cool, I'm, I'm competitive, I'll try. And within the first week, I'm just struggling and struggling in a Spanish class. And I remember my Spanish teacher clearly one day was picking on me, asking me questions, and I, had, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't get what he was saying. And this might be hard to believe, but I remember what he said. He said, What are you, stupid? And, you know, in the moment, you know, I wanted to kind of just brush it aside. So I said something funny to get the class laughing and get the attention off of myself. Uh, But I never forgot that. I never forgot a teacher who asked me the question, What are you, stupid? And I don't know what his intent was. Uh, but I know for me, over the next many, 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 many years, I believed the lie about myself that I was stupid. And so my aim and my goal was to prove to everyone that I was not stupid. My goal was to prove to everyone that uh, I can do it. I can handle it. Uh, I can perform. I can, you know, so I just had this mentality shaped by a lie that I believed about myself. So those are two examples as I've considered lies that I've believed, one goofy, but honestly one, more, one much more serious. So much of my life was driven by wanting to prove to other people uh, that I'm not stupid. Now, it's one thing to believe a lie about yourself, uh, but what happens when you start believing lies about God? What happens when you start believing things about God that ultimately are just not true? So my next question is just, are there things that you are believing about God that are just not true? Are there things that you are believing about God that are just not true? In other words, is your life being shaped by the truth of who God is? And I mean who he really is. Uh, Or is your life i.e. your relationship with God and how you relate with God being shaped by what you think God is actually like. So is your life being shaped by the truth of who God is, or is your life being shaped actually by uh, what you hope God to be like or what you want God to be like? Now for me, at the age of 22, I remember this pretty clearly, uh, God corrected me in a lie that I was believing about him. Uh, and again, from a pretty young age up until the age of 22, uh, the lie that I was specifically believing about God was I believed that I could do things that would cause God to love me more, and there were consequently things that I could do that would make God love me less. Now, some of you might be sitting here and be like, well, why on earth would you believe that? Uh, But I have a feeling that there's probably some of you, if not a lot of you, who can relate to that. So for the better part of 22 years, my life with God, my relationship with God was shaped and formed by a lie that I believed about God. And what it did in me, what it caused in me was uh, what I just later named and what others helped me identify was, Michael, you have what's called a performance-driven faith. Your relationship with God is completely based upon your performance, that you think if you do good things, if you say good things, if you pray things, if you read your Bible, if you serve, if you give, and the long list of other things, if you do those things, that somehow God is going to smile on you more. Somehow God is going to love you more. And Michael, you've chosen to believe that when you sin, when you make mistakes, when you mess up, that somehow you've fallen out of God's favor Uh, and that he loves you less. So you have to work harder to get back in God's good graces. And for me, uh, and for anyone who can relate with this lie, I lived a better part of 22 years of my life thinking uh, that when God looked at me, uh, he shook his head in disappointment. And for a guy who was already believing he was stupid, Uh, You couple that lie on top of this lie that there were things I could do or not do that would make God love me, like me less or more. Man, it was miserable. It was miserable. Uh, But I'm thankful that at age 22, God grabbed hold of me and said, Michael, I love you enough and I wanna correct this lie because if you continue believing this false truth or this false, uh, this lie about me, it's going to ruin the rest of your life. It's going to wreck the relationship that I desire to have with you. Uh, a book that uh, at the time, uh, this is a great book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I normally put uh, books um, for a display of books that I've used during the week as study, but I didn't want to put this one out there because I didn't want anyone touching it. This is uh, probably one of my most, uh, outside of scriptures, uh, one of my most... Uh, treasured books, uh, so to speak. It's a book that has, it's very personal to me, uh, and I say that because this book was used by God in a tremendous way to set me free from this idea of a performance driven faith. And I'll just read to you one quote. The author was Brennan Manning, who went to be with the Lord a little over a year ago. And this is a very simple quote from Ragamuffin Gospel, and it says this, How long will it be before we discover we cannot dazzle God with our accomplishments? When will we acknowledge that we need not and cannot buy God's favor? When will we acknowledge that we don't have it all together and happily accept the gift of grace? How difficult it is to be honest, to accept that I am unacceptable, to renounce self-justification, to give up the pretense that my prayers and my spiritual insight have made me pleasing to God. I am lovable only because he loves me. Now that might not speak much to you, but I remember when I first read that uh, when I was 22 uh, and it revolutionized my entire relationship with God because God said, Michael, I love you enough to correct that this is a lie. Uh, And the truth of it is, I love you as you are. There's nothing that I can do or nothing that you can do that will make you love me more. And there's nothing that you can do that will cause me to love you less. My love for you is perfect. Rest easy in that. And for the last 20 years, uh, it has been a struggle at times not to put on that chain uh, of performance driven faith, uh, but to live chain free as it were uh, and rest easy in the truth uh, of who God is and what God is like. My prayer for all of us today is simply this, that God would correct in you any lies that you may be believing about him. That's my prayer for today. And uh, what's really powerful to me in the story of Acts 10 is he corrects Peter. He corrects Peter from a lie that he was believing that was shaping how he was interacting with God and ultimately how he would interact with others. Uh, So that God would correct in you any lies that you may believe uh, about him. Now, I wanted to, uh, before I read the scripture this morning, uh, in your chair pocket is, uh, we put these note cards uh, in, uh, in each chair for you, or a prayer card as well. And if you would, or if you have a journal, then just use your journal. But I wanted you to write an answer to this question. Uh, before we go on, I wanted you to identify uh, what lies are you currently believing about God? What lies are you currently, I mean right now, today, are you believing uh, about God? Because um, I really believe that the, one of the reasons that you're here today uh, was that God in a loving way might correct you from the lies that you are believing about Him uh, so that you can live differently uh, as you would leave here. I wanted you to put down on in a journal, on a note card, on this prayer card. Uh, I encourage you even to put on this prayer card, because when we celebrate communion here in a little bit, you can put this uh, prayer card up on one of these frames by the communion tables, uh, and we will be committed to praying. Uh, you don't have to put your name on it, uh, but praying for you that whatever lie you might be believing about God, uh, that God would correct that in you. So take just, take a second, write it down. What lie are you believing Father God, I give thanks that uh, almost 20 years ago, you corrected me. God, I give thanks that 20 years ago, uh, you used your scriptures and the amazing truths of what scripture says. And God, you used a very simple book uh, called the Ragamuffin Gospel uh, to set me free from a performance-driven faith, to set me free from a lie that I believed, that I could do something To get in good with you. God, I pray that whatever was written down in journals this morning, on note cards, on prayer cards, God, whatever lie uh, was brought to mind, that uh, each of us would be believing about you. God, I pray that this morning there would be a few hundred testimonies and stories of lies that were corrected and replaced with truth. So God, would you do what only you can do? Would you do an amazing thing this morning? And wherever we are believing lies about you, God, might you replace it with the amazing truth of who you are, what you are like, and what you have done. God, that these lies would no longer shape how we think about you, how we understand ourselves, and how we interact uh, with those around us. God, I give thanks for this passage in Acts chapter 10. I give thanks for how you loved Peter enough uh, to correct him in a lie that he was believing about you. So God, would you please, as you did for Peter, God, as you've done for me and continually do for me, would you do that for all of us here today? That we'd go home different, we'd go home lighter, we'd go home transformed by the truth. We pray that, Jesus, in your name, amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Acts 10. And I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to read at verse 9. I'm going to read uh, what we're going to do. We're covering a lot of verses today, but we're going to walk through them pretty quickly. I just honestly want to cover the highlights of Acts chapter 10. Specifically, here are some things that we learned from Peter and what God did with Peter, uh, specifically addressing a lie that he was believing. So Acts 10, uh, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 9. The next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, uh, Peter, remember Cornelius' saw God. God said, send some men to go get Peter. So the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. And it was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet, all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds. Uh, And then verse 13, then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Peter, verse 14, no. I'll just stop there. It's never a good idea to say no to the Lord. Just just highlight that. Verse 14, no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Remember, this is the voice of God. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. And Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over this vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them. And without hesitation, uh, go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. uh, In verse 21, so Peter went down and said, I'm the man you are looking for. Why have you come? Now, Obviously, there's going to be, we're going to read a lot of verses, and my aim is not to cover every single verse. My aim is to capture kind of the highlight reel of what God is teaching Peter. And the first thing that I want you to write down, I'm going to give you three things in in the verses we're covering. Number one is this, God's not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. You may have a relationship with God just like Peter did, but being in relationship with God does not mean you've arrived. Just because you have a relationship with God and you know Jesus, it does not mean you have arrived. As long as you have breath in your body, God will always be at work with you. Always. Keep in mind that we're in Acts 10. Peter's already been preaching like crazy. Peter's already been leading. Peter's already been, uh, has seen just miracle after miracle. Um, But even though he was being used by God and seeing just God at work, God still needed to correct something in Peter, a lie that he was believing that was just not true. And the question then obviously is, what was Peter believing about God that was not true? And the answer is just, he believed that God favored certain people over others. He believed that God had a preference uh, for certain people Over other people. Namely, he loved the Jews more than he did the Gentiles. And because Peter believed this to be true, it shaped how he thought and how he interacted with the Gentiles. Uh, Namely, he avoided them. Because he believed that to be true about God, it shaped how he interacted with the Gentiles. Namely, he avoided them. So my question is Did Peter submit to the work of God in his life? Meaning, when God revealed that Peter was off in his thinking, Did he adjust his life to the truth that God revealed? And my answer to this is yes, but slowly. Notice when God was speaking to him and revealing, I'll explain the vision and what he saw, but notice he initially said to God, no way, no way. What you want me to do, no way. I've never done that. How could I break our custom, our tradition, and do something what you're telling me to do? So, He did adjust his life, but my answer is yes, but he he did it slowly. The vision Peter had was repeated how many times? Three. Three times God was gracious to say, all right, let's try again. Let's try one more time. And Peter is still perplexed, like, what are you talking about? And that's what happens. The deeper the lie is embedded in you, sometimes the greater the explanation needs to be, And so God is gracious to Peter and gives him a vision three times. Now, he was struggling to get what God was teaching him, and I certainly can relate to this. In verse 15, 16, it says, The voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God's made it clean. And the same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was pulled up to heaven. And Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Now, clearly it would be easy to understand why it was so hard for Peter to grasp. His entire life, he was kosher. If you don't know what kosher means, uh, his whole life, he was kosher, meaning he observed the Old Testament laws, which required the people of God to avoid certain foods that were considered unclean. So Peter is somewhere in the ballpark of about 30 plus years old uh, when all of this is happening, maybe somewhere between 30 to 40. Can you imagine for 30 to 40 years, you've lived one way believing, I can't eat this because if I do, it's going to make me unclean. But God's now saying, no, I want you to go ahead and eat and kill. Some of you would be like, dude, you can start having bacon. Like this is a day of celebration. Don't argue with the Lord. You can now eat this. But what Peter is thinking about and What comes to his mind is this was the Old Testament law as it related to food. In Leviticus chapter 20, it says this, You must therefore make a distinction, this is God, between ceremonial clean and unclean animals, and between clean and unclean birds. You must not defile yourselves by eating any unclean animal or bird or creature that scurries along the ground. I have identified them as being unclean for you. You must be holy." You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. Now, obviously, there's a whole discussion that could be had on Old Testament law, but what I want us to catch is simply this. God used the Old Testament law, specifically these verses here, uh, so that the people of God would be set apart from the countries and the nations around them. God desired that his people that he had set his love, his affection on, uh, that they would be Holy, and so he used the law as a way to help them towards this. But what happened over time was that the Jews started believing that what made them right with God was actually being Jewish. What made them right with God was observing something, observing a rule. Specifically, that made right with God was that they were being Jewish. Thus, anyone who was not Jewish was looked down upon, and they were viewed as unclean. People. Now what God was trying to correct in Peter was not something just about food, but this was about people. And what Peter was starting to learn is that anyone who comes to Jesus, we all come to God unclean, i.e. sinful. But anyone who comes to Jesus, knows Jesus, meets, be- meets Jesus, believes in Jesus, Jesus makes us clean. So this in this section is not about food, it's about people. And Peter was viewing certain people as unclean, that God did not care for them and love them like he did the Jews. And so God was trying to correct this lie in Peter. Now, a question is, have you ever believed something for so long that even when you discovered what you believed was not true, it still took you a really long time to reorient your life to that truth? I think all of us would say, yeah. And what I'm excited to share with you this morning is, well, I have good news for you. It doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to take a year or five years or 10 years to unpack lies that you've believed. And what I'm excited about in this example of Peter is that despite being perplexed by what God was teaching him, he did not let what he did not fully grasp hinder him from moving forward. He was perplexed. He didn't get everything, but it didn't stop him or hinder him from actually moving forward. I want to read, if you still have your Bibles open, go to Acts 10. Uh, I'm going to pick up the story at verse 17. Peter was perplexed. What could this vision mean? Okay, and jump down. I'm going to start uh, uh Go down to verse 21. So Peter went down and said, I am the man you are looking for. Why have you come? Verse 22. They said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout, God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of his brothers from Joppa. All right. Those few verses, you might be like, okay, well, it looked like Peter had a sleepover. Like, You might not view these verses as verses that is an amazing moment in church history or is an amazing moment in Christianity, but what Peter did in those few verses that I just read would set the tone for the spread of the gospel to all people. Did you catch Why? <laughs> Verse 23, so Peter invited the men to stay for the night. Peter did what no other Jew would have ever done for a Gentile before, specifically a Gentile who worked for the Roman military, who were the enemy. Peter invited them into his home to spend the night. And again, that might not seem much to you, but for Peter, that, would n- that never had happened So Peter is wrestling with, God has told me that nothing that he has made I should ever look at or consider unclean, meaning people. So because Peter submitted to the work of God in his life, namely the truth that God was teaching Peter, he was now available to be used by God to accomplish even more. Can you imagine if Peter said, God, I just, I can't get on board with that. Like those Gentiles are just, they're too unclean. I I just can't relate to them. Can you imagine how small his world would have been? And this is the problem. When we choose to believe lies about God, our world is really small. But when we choose to believe and embrace and be shaped by the truth of who God is, what God is like, it opens up our world completely. And the second thing I would want to share with you is this God equips you with the truth so that you can demonstrate the truth to others. Say that again, God equips you with the truth so so that you can demonstrate the truth to others. What I love about this is God was speaking to Cornelius, a religious man who lacked a relationship with God because he didn't know Jesus. And while God was preparing Cornelius, he was also equipping Peter to do what he would not have normally done. He would not have, if God didn't intervene and correct the lie that Peter was believing, if Cornelius' men would have shown up, he would have been like, no. Why on earth would I go with you guys? Are you kidding me? You want me to come into the house of a Roman centurion? He would have completely missed what God had for him because he was choosing to believe a lie. But God was working with Cornelius and now he was equipping Peter. And what I love is, He equips you and I with the truth so that you and I can demonstrate the truth to others. The story goes on. Keep your Bible open, because I'm going back now in verse 24. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. That awesome. He was so excited for this guy, Peter, to come. He didn't know why, but he's calling all of his friends and his relatives. You gotta come to the house. Because some, I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. And he says in verse 25, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and he worshiped him. Peter, in verse 26, pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. And so they talked together and went inside and, uh, where many others were assembled. Uh, Verse 28, Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. I want you to catch what Peter does here. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. And so I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you have sent me. I love how Peter, in these few verses, is humble enough before these men to tell them, I was wrong. When's the last time you said that to somebody? And I don't mean a a husband to a wife or wife to, you know, you, you missed a detail. But when's the last time you were humble enough to say, you know what, I was believing something about you that just wasn't true. Or I was believing something that was not true about God and consequently it led me to treat you differently and I was wrong. What I love about what Peter does in these few verses is he identifies uh, that he was humble enough to say, I was wrong. Verse 28, 29, Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Isn't that awesome? I used to think like this, but God corrected me. And now because God has corrected me, I'm standing in your home. I don't know why I'm standing in your home, but I'm here. God equips you with the truth so that you can demonstrate the truth to others. Because Peter embraced what God had told him, I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. His entire worldview changed. And if he chose to hang on to the lie Peter would just limit what God would do. But because Peter received the truth from God, man, he is just free to now just minister to anybody, to love anyone, to build a relationship with anyone. Verse 29, now tell me why you sent me. Isn't that a great question? I'm here. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. God has something. Now, Peter says, Peter was able to say, I came without objection, Because Peter received the truth from God that no one should be viewed as impure and clean. And I wanted to ask this question to you. Is there anything you are objecting to right now because of a lie you are still believing about God? Is there anything that you're just saying, no, I'm not gonna do this. No, I'm not gonna go here. I'm not gonna say this. No, I'm not gonna build this bridge. No, I'm not gonna reach out. Is there anything that you are objecting to in your life right now for the sole reason of a lie that you continue to hang onto. I'm convinced that God wants to use all of us to make a difference in lives. Not just a few of us. I'm convinced he wants to use all of you to make a difference in the lives of those men and women around you. But what often hinders us from being used by God is not God. He's not hindering us from being used by him. What's hindering us from being used by him is the lies we choose to believe about God. So again, I just, is there anything that you're objecting to right now because of a lie that you are choosing to believe about God? You know what, it could be God's calling you just to take a step of faith. And the lie is, well, God's not gonna care for me. He's not gonna provide for me. He's not gonna meet my needs. And so you stay in a place called I can't move forward because I just, I don't believe God's going to take care of me. So anything you're objecting to right now because of a lie that you are believing about God, the lies that we, I want to help with this, hopefully, the lies we believe um, are not always overt. What I mean by this is I don't think Peter walked around was like, looked at a Gentile person, was like, yeah, God hates you. I don't think he walked around like saying, yeah, God loves the Jews, can't stand the Gentiles, good luck to you people. It was this lie that he had just believed. And even though he wasn't saying God didn't love somebody, by his actions of, I would normally never step foot in the house of a Gentile. His actions were leading him because of the lie he was believing. So uh, my question is, I want to invite you to examine preferences you might have. Again, it's, sometimes these lies are so overt that we don't go out and say, this is what I'm believing, but it's how we're living that communicates the lies that we believe. And so for me, as I was wrestling with this, uh, what are the preferences, and we all have them, Are my preferences based on lies that I'm actually believing or are my preferences shaped by the truth of of God, what what God's revealed? I don't think Peter was walking around just telling people God didn't love him, but he certainly preferred one person over another person. His preferences led him to ignore one set of people while embracing another set of people. You know, as I was thinking about this, uh, just in thinking about Genesis, Uh, you know, when we started a few years ago, we are only four years old as a church, barely four years old as a church. We started with a community of about 50 to 60 largely young adults. Um, I think at the time, there was like three or four people who were older than me. And every time uh, an older person would come and visit, and you have to understand, I'm 41, so anyone older than 41 is old. Um, I love you, but I'm old, so it's good. And what would happen is they're like, Michael... It seems good, but we're not going to stay because uh, we just are. there's no one here like us. And I, I got that. I understood that. But what I loved about the men and women who were at least older than me at the time, they would say, you know what? There aren't many people who look like us in terms of age and our demographic and just where we are, our season in life. But you know what, Michael? We see God at work in this place, and we just want to be part of it. And so they grabbed onto the truth that God was doing awesome things here and God wanted to do even greater things. And they said, forget the preferences. We just want to be where God's at. And and if we get to be part of that, wow, I can be part of that and I want to. And I've always loved that about men and women who are specifically older than me in this community. You might not like how things look, or you might not like how things sound, or you might not look a style of dress. I've had people ask me before, can't you just get dressed up a little bit more? And I'm like, you, you want me to wear a robe? And, and if someone did bring me a robe that was like a Jedi robe, I would wear it. But I've always loved when people put their preferences aside for the truth that God is doing more. And what I love about Peter is God corrected the lie and equipped him with the truth so that he could be a demonstration of the truth to Cornelius and his entire household. I want to finish with this last point, and uh, it is this, number three, uh, God opens our hearts to his truth so that others can hear the heart of God. Like, I look at that one, and I'm like, man, 22 years. I just believed something that just wasn't true about God. And I look at Peter, and I was so encouraged by this text this week because I just connected with him. I'm like, man, you're Peter. You should have this stuff figured out. But even though he was was Peter, he was leading and preaching and just doing awesome things, Lord using him in awesome ways, God still had to correct a lie that he was believing. And what I loved about this third point and was excited just to finish with is God opens our hearts to his truth so that others can hear the heart of God. I just want you to know that if you have received the truth of who God is and what God is like and your life is being shaped by that, he wants to use you to communicate to other people around you, this is what God is like this is God's heart. And uh, finish in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Uh, it starts off, I'm going to read this pretty quick. Verse 34, and I, I, again, there's so much that could be said about these verses, but I just want you to hear, what is God's heart in these few verses? Peter replied, well, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. You know what happened through Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And now, and and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the appointed by God to the judge of all, to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one. All the prophets testified about, and I want you to catch what Peter says here. He's the one the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Did you see the heart transformation? Peter would not have said that before, but now he says, uh, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name, meaning the name of Jesus. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they had heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to them being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? Did you catch that? They're no different than us. They've got the same Holy Spirit that we do. So shouldn't, as we've been baptized, shouldn't these men and women be baptized as well in the name of Jesus Christ? Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Clearly, a lot could be said about those few verses, but I wanted you to catch was God opens our hearts to his truth so that others can hear the heart of God. And I want you to write these down very quickly, but if I were to sum up those few verses, here is God's heart for you, for me. A, God does not play favorites. He loves everyone. Everyone. Not one person over another person. God does not play favorites. The second one I'd say is, there is peace with God through Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not through works. If you want to have right relationship, peace with God, it's through Jesus. That's it. That's the heart of God, that you would have peace with him. Not by working, performing, but through Jesus. The next one, Jesus died on a cross, but God rose him back to life. Our God is not dead. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is continually working. The next one, everyone who believes in Jesus will have all sins forgiven. I really want you to catch that, because I used to believe that there was, most of my sins were forgiven, but not all of them. And I used to rank my sins like, whoa, that was a really big one. That's going to take Time for God to forgive and I want you to catch the heart of God everyone who believes in Jesus will have all not some not a few but all sins will be forgiven and then the last one I would say is this God gives us his spirit God gives everyone his spirit who confesses and believes in Jesus so that by the spirit of God you can be empowered to live the life that God wants you to live Now, if you know this to be God's heart for you, then your sole responsibility is to be like Peter, a vehicle in which the heart of God is communicated to those around you. If you know that to be the heart of God, then your role, your job, your mission is to communicate God's heart to those who don't understand God's heart. That's it. That's the rest of your life. Everywhere you go, you are to communicate the heart of God to other men and women around you who are choosing to believe lies about God that are just not true. you know how many people are believing that their sins can't be forgiven because their sins are too big? Or you're believing, well, God loves some, but he doesn't love everyone. He loves really spiritual people, but messed up people not so much. You know how many people are believing lies that God has left us and abandoned us and don't know that he's given us his spirit to be empowered to live the life that God wants us to live? If you know that to be the heart of God, that is your mission in life, is to communicate God's heart to those who don't know in a loving, gracious, winsome way, in a joyful way. And if you did not know that this was God's heart for you, then I want to finish just by inviting you to respond to God by opening your heart to his heart. And I just want you to know he loves you. Man, I heard people tell me that so many times, but I chose not to believe it because I believed the lie about God. I believe the sentence was not finished. He loves you, and I would tack on when I do this. And I just want you to know he, just, he loves you. Jesus has, God has demonstrated just how much he loves you in Jesus. And the way that you and I have right relationship with God is through Jesus and Jesus alone. If you've never responded by faith to Jesus, I invite you to do that this morning. As we finish our time, we're gonna worship, we're gonna sing, we're gonna celebrate communion. I wanna invite you to respond by placing your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. God's not done with you yet. God equips you with the truth so that you can demonstrate the truth to others and God opens our hearts to his truth so that others can hear the heart of God.